All right. Well, welcome to another Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, where we're allowed to geek out with our fellow nerds. Um, today, I'm proud to introduce Ted Asur, whose commitment to leadership, process improvement, and team building is the backbone of his career. Ted, welcome to the podcast, and please tell us a little about yourself and when and where you started on the path of being a tech leader. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me. It's it's really great to be here. Uh, I appreciate the invite and the opportunity to kind of talk about my background. Um, so uh, let's see, right now I'm uh, a director of IT at a small construction management firm in Burlington, Vermont. Um, my IT background um, probably started when I was a kid. Uh, we'll talk more about that and how that shaped uh, my career and the successes within it. Um, but I've worn a lot of hats. I was kind of reviewing um, before we had the chance to talk here. And, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things. So when people talk about being a, a you know, a generalist, uh, I've, I've kind of walked in a lot of different shoes or worn a, different, a lot of different hats or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I was looking back in no particular order. Uh, these are the things that I've done in my IT roles over the last 25 years. Uh, a localization engineer, IT project manager, business analyst, SharePoint developer, software developer, because those aren't the same thing, a DBA, a bartender, network engineer, business owner, help desk manager, product evangelist, IT trainer, security analyst, team lead, IT manager, IT director. Now, those aren't necessarily all things I would put on my resume's titles, but those are certainly the roles that I have been in. So um, let me let me jump in real quick and ask yeah. because I too have some uh, bartending experience. What did that bring to your um, your career as far as as IT? Because I know it added to mine for sure. Um, you know, so I took up bartending uh, during the dot com crash. So I was living in Boston at the time. And I was working for a startup, like a lot of folks were about that time. And this was, you know, right around 99, 2000, um, when the economy and technology really tanked. Uh, all that uh, investor capital kind of wasn't producing what everybody thought. And a lot of folks just pulled out of the, the industry just financially. And there weren't really tech jobs to be had because there was suddenly a glut of resources and, and not enough jobs for the people. And I uh, ended up getting a nice little job at, a, at an upscale restaurant. And, um, you know, it's uh, being in the service industry uh, was very educational. I recommend it for anybody, regardless of your kind of background or experiences. It helps shape an appreciation for the customer and their perspective. Um, and it certainly helps you appreciate people who are in that role. Um, so I'd say, you know, it, it, it certainly honed my people skills. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go with it too, because I know that that for me it, it taught me one customer service, yeah, how to be empathetic, how to sell, and um, you know I I really realized at that point in my career, and and I had yet to go into technology at all, um, but I recognized at that point that the primary differentiator is customer service because there's plenty of developers out there. There's plenty of people who know how to do DBA. There's plenty of people who know how to manage a group of people, but it's around that customer service that, that you get that loyalty that I help build the team that, you know, all of those kinds of things. It, it helped me in my career. And I'm assuming that it helped you as you went back into technology, um, as things reemerged after the, uh, dot com <laughs> yeah for sure the uh 
you know, and I'd like to talk about this more as we kind of get into um, kind of like my career track and, and what took me here, because that was certainly one uh, aspect of it, but really identifying uh, the user as the customer um, and who your customers are and really thinking of yourself as a customer service provider of technology, right? And um, and why that was important as a differentiator uh, for, for me and something that I... Um, you know, when I train new folks that I hire, I make sure they understand that that's a key aspect of their professional success. Because when we get into, um, you know, when, when you're a developer on a team, you can easily be seen as a, as a commodity, right? We can hire another developer. So how do you do, how do you differentiate yourself to make sure that, um, you know, you're ingratiated with the people who make that decision? And the way you do that is by providing excellent customer service and making them feel valued. Right. So, all right, let's um, let's take a step back from this because this is a, hopefully we'll we'll circle back to it and just for a sure. Bit. But you know, and during the uh, initial call, we were talking about some things, and you talked about being one of those kids that that had access to well, not necessarily had access to, but enjoyed technology from the time that you were a, a teen and on. So, tell us a little about that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I thought about this and, and why it might be relevant, um, I really thought further back as far as just being a kid. Um, and I'll pause for a second and, uh, and just say that my goal over the course of this hour that we have a chance to, to talk together for your listeners is to um, share my experiences and how I got to where I am and why I feel that's important. I'm going to make a lot of statements that some people might disagree with, and I'll make generalities that I agree are generalities. But for the sake of kind of covering what I'd like to share with folks, um, it all comes back to you know experiences growing up and how I feel. Those shared experiences across a lot of people in technology shape where we're at today and, and where we could be going. So that said, um, you know, when I was a young kid, I grew up in rural Oregon, just south of Portland. Uh, my parents were entrepreneurs and cabinet makers. We were kind of lower middle class, um, poor enough to not have the things you really wanted, but not so poor that you'd ask for help. <laughs> and uh, so I grew up in a family of folks who were very self-sufficient and, and like took care of themselves. They ran a cabinet shop of custom cabinets stocked with all kinds of machines and power tools, the table saws and sanders and all kinds of stuff. And I was always fascinated by, you know, leveraging machinery or technology to accelerate work. Like I was excited about like, wow, we can like cut things faster and make things faster because of these things. Uh, with these devices. And so, you know, as a young kid during business hours, I would just run through that shop and turn on all the equipment and get all excited about all the different things. And that freaked a lot of people out when you have a kid running through a shop, turning on big pieces of equipment, equipment that, could, yeah. that could easily take off limbs, you know? Right. And so my parents were like, yeah, I don't think this is for you. And so they kind of said, yeah, like, don't even come up here. And so they discouraged me from participating in their business for the safety of everybody. Um, and so being a kid out there, you know, I uh, hung out with other rural kids in the area and a horse farm nearby, our neighbors were the, f they were the first folks to have a computer in the neighborhood. It was an Apple II. And uh, when I discovered it and playing games on it, you know, when you're a, a kid out in the middle of nowhere and there's a computer with video games on it and no one has seen this before, that's your new best friend. I was over there all the time, 
And I think ultimately they called up my parents and they're like, you just got to get that kid a computer because he won't stop coming over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we need him out of our Come on, can you, yeah, can you just <laughs> do something about this? So, so uh, you know, my parents, you know, ultimately under the, the guise of like, well, we'll buy a computer for our business, right? Got a computer. Um, and so, you know, my first computer was a C64 living at home, um, eight or 10 Commodore years old. Commodore 64 for those Commodore that don't 64. recognize it. <laughs> Yeah, Commodore 64, which was a great computer for its time. It was pretty impressive yeah. for, for what it did. 64K and a, a, an audio synthesizing chip in it, which differentiated it from a lot of things. Ooh. Made nice music yeah. um, for its time. Yeah, uh, it's time. So I was a computer nerd. I was a computer geek growing up. You know, I was the kid who, um, you know, self-selected, would rather be in front of a computer than than find friends. And I think that was really common in that time for folks who weren't around then. Like if you are watching shows like Stranger Things, which is an excellent kind of snapshot of the, the setting of 80s culture and, and lifestyle before technology, um, you can kind of see how, and there's other shows like that. I'm just using that as an example to be like, hey, when you're thinking about this time period, it was kind of like that with all without all the weird stuff. Um, Unless you grew up in a place like I did, like Los Alamos, because that show makes <laughs> That's me some weird my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, kids who glommed on to technology in that day and age did so at the expense of any sort of social capital, right? <laughs> Let's yeah. put that very nicely. Um, yeah, that is a, a nice way of putting that. <laughs> and so, you know, I was kind of, you know, a social out liar outsider and um you know i hung out with other geek friends but uh, definitely the fact that i was into technology and the fact that i was uh, knowledgeable about computers uh, certainly didn't earn me any friends and i think this is a really common and important thing that happened in that time for a lot of people is that if you were really into tech and you were a nerd or a geek uh there was a price to pay for that socially. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, Revenge of the Nerds. If, if you've right. never seen it or don't know about it, I mean, we were not accepted like we are today. We were, right. back then, we were the ostracized group outside and and the strange kids or, sure. you know, the, the ones that ruined the curve inside of the class. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, we definitely didn't have that social capital. And But today, I mean, now we're part of the mainstream. Now we're like, it's the thing that freaks me out about this is that I see those guys out there that are the bodybuilders and they're the nerds just like we used to be. And it used to be that, that separation that you were either a nerd or you were a jock. <laughs> right. But I think it's important. I, I think it's important to, to recognize that there was a, a, a cultural norm that that's just how things were. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I went, I went on to high school. I, in high school, I took uh, advanced uh, classes at the local community college and uh, operating systems and data structures and programming languages. Um, this was like, you know, late 80s, early 90s, uh, pre-internet still. And, uh, you know, went off to went off to college ultimately and thought I'd be a, a computer science major, um, went off to a local state school uh u of o down in, in eugene that's university of oregon uh go ducks uh that uh i thought yeah this was the track for me computer science and um through a, a couple of events 
that happened, uh, I realized that it really wasn't. And um, with the guidance of a really good friend of mine and roommate at the time who was a computer science major, um, was redirected towards uh, linguistics as uh, as a possible way for me to really get in, engaged academically and 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 graduate successfully. And I'm I'm really grateful for that. It was it was a great thing to study. Not really practical in a lot of ways, but certainly very educational. Um, first job out of college was in software localization, uh, first in project management, and then in engineering. Did that for uh, several years. Uh, then, uh, as the dot com bubble began to expand, got into web development, and um, you know, I really think of that time as when we were building the internet. Yeah. And when I say building the internet, we're talking like handcrafting HTML <laughs> line by line yep. uh, to try to get uh, you know some <laughs> graphic graphic designers you know dream of what a web page should look like into reality. Um, it's making you think of that, those, those tags flash, <laughs> that was the days, right? And so kids these days, they don't know how easy they got it. Um, yeah. so, uh, so I got in with some various startups that were really involved in, in the dot-com bubble at that time. And then, you know, crash happened and I went into bartending for a while and then, um, ultimately ended up back on the West coast in my mid 20s and uh, worked for a very large healthcare system for about 12 years and had a lot of different experiences and roles there um across so, this is prior to hipaa too isn't it or is it, it is. hipaa yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. um and a lot of the uh, the pivot in my sort of philosophy around um, it happened uh, during that 12 years in, in healthcare i had a lot of great mentors and um several several negative experiences that sort of redefined how I approach things. Um, you know, yeah, the, the web development, mm -hmm. those, those kinds of things you're, you're now moving into the healthcare and, and. Yeah. So healthcare, healthcare IT is an animal in and of itself. Um, it's very complicated and there's a lot of moving pieces, especially with the, after the affordable care act and after HIPAA. Um, and it was around that time that I started to realize a couple of things. One was, um, you know, I was getting older compared to a lot of the young Turks coming into the into the industry, and you start to look at yourself and being like, oh, "Is this really what I want to be doing? Am I going to be learning the latest and greatest thing and and remembering all the things, or is there something else I should be doing with my life?" Um, and uh, at the same time, I was also taking a really close look at IT culture in that in that time in that space. And I started to notice a couple of patterns. What I started to see was like, um, you know, these guys, it was mostly guys at the time, yeah. um, are the, the same generation as me. And these are the kids who grow up, who grew up as social outcasts, right? These are the misanthropes and the people who really got into tech. And, and this is Played one of my big with dice. Right? Right. This, and again, I'm going to say this is one of my very broad generalizations. It doesn't apply to every single person, but right. these are things that I experienced and noticed in the industry. Um, and suddenly, you know, as IT became prevalent across uh, industries, especially after the dot com um, spike, you know, up and down and then back up again, um, and you saw, start to see the importance of IT everywhere across every industry, across every facet of every business, suddenly, you got these guys who are like, you know, the social outcasts, really important and in a lot of, in a place of a lot of power, right? And a lot of control. 
And um, that doesn't always work well <laughs> uh, <laughs> culturally when you have folks who are like, who have, you know, been on the outside for a long time and now we're on top. Right. So right. I would say like, if you, if you were blessed enough to be a geek and then move into the nineties and early two thousands, the world is your oyster, right? It probably it still is like, like when you look at what your um, professional mobility is across industries, like you can work anywhere for anyone doing anything right. as an IT person, right? You're, it's that important. When you look at other industries um, that you might be in, you can't say the same thing about any specialist that might be doing whatever that is. If, if you are, you know, focused on foreign aid implementation, you're, job options are limited but if you're working in it in that space you can go anywhere and do whatever so let me get back to like my my thoughts on this the um so you have you know folks who um might not be the most socially adept suddenly with really the keys to the kingdom of most industries and that can be uh toxic in a lot of ways you can run into situations where um, you know, people uh, who don't necessarily have the social skills are now uh, running the show and making decisions and literally with the access to everything that runs a business and the business that's hyper dependent on them uh, creates this new sort of, um, you know, stereotypical IT guy that people, I think, really envision as kind of the norm for, for decades. And that is either, you know, the developer who's sitting in a closet that you just put the pizza under the door and, and, <laughs> and, and maybe with and maybe a note like, hey, can you do this? And if you're lucky, they do it. Um, or these other types of like, you know, folks who aren't the friendliest, who aren't necessarily focused around what people might need, but will just do things that they think are are the right thing to do. Yeah. Hold on on one, uh, that one one second cuz I I work with a lot of those kinds of guys and um and I always kind of well the majority of the ones that I ran into were like that lone cowboy. They would they loved coming to the rescue. They loved fixing things and they loved making things um getting things back into motion and working. Although, you know, like 80% of the time it was due to them doing exactly what you're talking about of, Hey, I think I need to do this. And they go and start changing things and doing stuff and just instantiate a problem right. and cause, cause the um, catastrophe that they become the hero. of. Totally. Absolutely. And I've said, <laughs> I've saw this across uh, industries and across time is whether out of um, hubris or, or malice or, ignorance it doesn't really matter <laughs> is a lot of the times the, the the savior is the one who caused the problem in the first place and they're never going to admit that right and so a lot of that sort of i would call cultural pathology kind of get got codified in a lot of organizations where it really sort of set the standard for what the business would and would not do um and so you know as i experienced that across a lot of different industries and organizations i started really thinking about like um at the same time as i was experiencing that the um you know this this idea of like the the commoditized developer the commoditized it person like if you're a help desk person and you don't like it here we can just hire another help desk person or if that software development isn't happening fast enough we can just hire more developers um which is 
wrong, by the way. Uh, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, uh, but it, there was a mentality in the, you know, I would say in my career in the early to mid 2010s where that was just sort of the thing. And a lot of this sort of like toxicity around um, how we treat users uh, was endemic in a lot of organizations. Well, and, and so... And and I think we we faced a little of the reverse of it too, because the the business still looked at us and said they they know tech, but they don't know what we do, and they don't know right. how we make right. money, and and they they keep the blinky lights blinking, but but when it comes to this industry, so I, and I, yeah. I'm sure you were headed that way. Sorry, <laughs> uh, you know a perfect example, and I think one of the turning points for me uh, was a conversation that I was having with a developer on a healthcare system uh, that patients would interact with. And uh, we got into a heated debate, let's say, as far as our role in the company and whether or not as software developers, were we responsible for patient care delivery? Damn straight. Right? Yeah. And his argument was like, hey, I don't deal with patients. Yeah. Right? And so, right. so for me, I was like, okay, so this is, this is part of what has been to some degree like as a disconnect between um what is the business about and what is the role of it within it in service to the business versus um it as a sort of monolithic organization that tells the business what they're what, what it is going to do and um so you know i came up with this sort of self philosophy and i started reading books around customer service delivery and and started thinking about my bartending days and, you know, the way I looked at it was like every single person in a healthcare organization is responsible for patient care delivery. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor scrubbing the toilet or the um, electrical engineer making sure that the furnace is working or the software developer or the DBA. It doesn't matter because between you and the patient is a series of people and events that affects their care. Right. right. And it's the same thing for every business. Right. It doesn't matter. You have customers along the way that are important and who are relevant to your success right customer service. And, uh, <laughs> customer service and so you know i shifted my mentality and i'm really like you know what this um this industry that we're on in is a service industry we are experts in technology our job is to deliver service around it to our customers and you know again there's some debate around well who's my customer is it my business's customer no it's it's every single person that you interact with every employee that depends on your it systems those those are your customers and um you know that sort of paradigm shift of thinking about things in that way really refactored my relationship with um all of my end users when you start thinking about things yeah go ahead so i i got a I agree with you. And, yeah. and my philosophy has always been more of, um, do you want to be helpful or do you want to be right? But, you know, I've, I've run into in the, in the most recent years and probably the last, it, it's taken, it's been over the last decade, but it's been, it took the first five years for me to start hearing it. And, and that sometimes is that, you know, there's, there's times where that customer service or being helpful does need to take a back seat 
to what is right. Now, sure. being right or what is right is is a different thing because uh, there were lots of experiences where the customer says, I need this, or I want it to do this, or make my life easier this way. And, and they're propagating bad data going into the system, or they want to make it easier for bad data to go into the system. So there's times where IT needs to stand up and say, you know, no, that's not right. Um, and how do we, what experiences do you have around that? And how do you suggest that we deal with that one? Cause that was one of the ones that I was struggling with and, and learning how to provide customer service and customer care and not squish them and tell them you're being stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I was listening to uh, one of the other guests uh, in recent weeks and uh, they kind of had some similar ideas around like, you know, they started there and I regret, I forget who it was. I should have noted this down, you know, but one of their comments was like, you know, I got into this industry and started thinking uh, of the approach of like the customer is always right. And then I realized the customer isn't always right. Um, especially in IT, our customers don't know what they really want because they don't understand the world the way we do when it comes to IT and IT solutions. A lot of times what you, what I've seen is that uh, folks will come to me with solutions. They're like, yeah, here's, all the time. Here, here's what I want you to make this do. Yep. And um, you know, that's the biggest red flag for me. And that really warrants and, and triggers a, a discussion uh, and a great analogy. And I, 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 I use medical analogies because I live in that industry for the longest time. And so it's right. easiest for me to draw from is like uh, me going to a surgeon and saying, doc, uh, I need you to cut off my arm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, okay. like, no, um, like, like, like who, like, that's how ridiculous it, it can seem yeah. to IT people when your customer or where you, your user comes to you and tells you the solution they want you to implement. Right. Uh, now, the doctor without, and us, and we as IT, there's one three letter word what? that needs to be brought up. And that's why. What do yeah. you want to get done? Why? What is yeah. the problem that you're trying to solve? Right. And then, well, so this is all right. And or actually right. both of those questions really need right. to be asked. Because what what's the end result that you're looking for, and why are you looking for it? Yeah, and so you know, I I, I that's a constant training issue for your users slash customers is position this back to them as far as uh, help me understand the problem, right? Yeah. Help me help me fall in love with the problem because I'm not going to fall in love with the solution. The solution doesn't work for me, but the problem excites me. And the problem challenges me. And this is the way my brain works. And you hired me to be the expert. Let me be the expert in my field and figure out the best solution for you. And that's, there's a way, there's a tack to take with customers that isn't, you're an idiot. <laughs> and, <laughs> We're and, not this is, and, and this is how it's, this is how it's going to be. Right. Um, so I think a partnership with the business is so critical where you establish a rapport where they, you need to educate them that they hired you to be the expert in this field and to allow you to do that. Ironically, um, I hear you saying that, and I completely agree, but we as IT also need to respect the exact opposite of it, that that person who's coming to us asking for a solution is to be an expert in what they're doing also. 
So we, we need right. to respect part of that. And that's, you know, as you said earlier, the user as the customer. So we, we need to have some respect for the fact that they need to be the expert in that thing also. And, and so we need to find a way to collaborate with them because right. if we can collaborate together, the solution that gets built is so much better and is so much more likely to be used than right. if we just run off and, and slice off their arm, come back. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. Beat somebody with it. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and, and of course the end of that punchline is like, well, it's because I got a sliver in my finger, right? Yeah. That's, that, that's kind of how it hurts. Can you just take the whole thing off? So this stop, right. Uh, stops hurting. Um, yes. And so one of the other kind of big points, uh, that I say is successful in my career is really getting to know the business, really understanding it, really shadowing other people's jobs and uh not sitting in an it bubble where um you're just being fed information from uh, a customer or an end user that that thinks they know what they want or you know getting information secondhand is learning the business uh you know one of the experiences that i had again and i think this is common among it folks is they sit within an it bubble regardless of what their business's business is yeah you know if you are in healthcare IT, then you should be learning about healthcare. If you're in, and I'm reaching back in my own experiences, if you're in foreign aid uh, um, delivery in developing nations, you should learn about what that's all about. You know, if now I'm in construction and I had never been in construction before, I'm learning what construction is all about because how else am I going to understand the true nature of their problems that need help with? Well, and, I can't, and right. to go back to one of the things that I was talking about a little bit earlier, or we were both talking about it, you know, that lone, that lone wolf or that, that IT person that's doing stuff because they, they think they know how things need to be done. Um, I think of the, like the different silos within work. So, you know, how does customer service relate to accounts payable? You know, and, and how do they affect each other? Because we as IT, we can see across all of those and we get to go interact with all of those groups. That customer service person just really gets stuck in their day-to-day -day doing just customer service, uh, entering data or gathering data and and gathering orders and, and working with that. Um, and I'm trying to think of a customer service as far as healthcare goes. And, you know, they're, they're the people that are... At, as the patient comes up to the window or, or, you know, any of those pieces, they're critical in the information that goes into the system for accounts payable so that they can collect and the, the business makes a profit. And, and uh, if we stay in our bubble and say, I'm a web developer and I'm just, all I have to worry about is the HTML <laughs> or, or the uh, C CSS, then I'm isolated. Like you're what, saying, you know, what, one of the systems that I worked on back in healthcare was um, a uh, internally facing uh, credit card payment system, right? So exactly what you're talking about, where patient comes up to, um, you know, what we call like a registrar or whatever the person is that's going to take take their information and their payment, and they would enter that information into the system, and then do credit card transaction processing, all those things, right? And so I had the opportunity to. Uh, I deliberately put myself in situations in that industry where I could experience what does the end user's 
what do they see, right? What is their life like? How does this fit in what they're doing? And uh, one of the most interesting experiences I had was volunteering at the uh, emergency department for six months. And I'd be working there one night a week after my day job. I'll just go around to the other side of the hospital um, and just do whatever needed to be done, right? And it put me uh, inside that group of people. And I had the opportunity to not only learn that side of the business, but watch how they interact with IT systems. And in this case, IT systems that my team was working on, right? And it wasn't my goal. It was just like, hey, that I, I know, I, I recognize that. And so I would watch, I would say, you know, if you don't mind, can I, can I watch as you're using this? And I just saw them like struggle through various aspects of the user interface and, and, uh, you know, do things that we would never expect the user to do. Um, and it was really, I saw how clunky it was for them and how awkward the experience was for them and what a waste of time this repetitive, poor design had on just their day, right? It was a time suck. And um, what was fascinating for me was that I asked them, I said, you know, as you're using this, do you have any feedback on how it could be improved? Because I, you know, I work on the team that that, that does this, and and you, and and you think that's a like like an exciting question for them. Like, yeah, let me tell you. Um, that's what I figured. And, yeah, and what I realized was, and this is a common thing that happens, I think, with with users and user experience, or yeah, user experience, is um, she turned to me and she said, "Yeah, I can't think of anything." And I'm like, I just watched you struggle with this thing, but what I realized had happened was is that. Uh, you know, it's like an uncomfortable pair of shoes. After a time, they just stop noticing what's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so it's a long-winded e- example, but uh, you know, y- you can put yourself in situations where you can really see what the user's experience is, and you can take that back and and really affect change um, by putting yourself, you know, out there with them and 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 in the way of their their experience. And this is a huge lesson to anybody that's listening and that hasn't picked up on it because by, by doing this, one of the things that we as IT can do um, when we start interacting with the people who are consuming what we're creating and watching how they're interacting with it. And when we see potentials for added efficiencies and we can quantify those efficiencies, we start to become a value add to the organization. We quit being a cost center and we become a value add or, or as one of my favorite coworkers used to say, a force multiplier. Mm-hmm. Because you, yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times um, a user would come in, tell us, hey, cut off my arm and they would go away and we'd figure out how to cut off their arm remotely and then we'd come back to them, bring them, set set the limb down on the desk. Man, this is not going the way I want it to. Um, but uh, and give it to them, and they've already figured out how to work around the fact that they had that splinter in their finger, and and so they're just dealing with the loss of that one finger while they're typing, and and they've maybe regained their their words per minute, but but they just deal with that that inefficiency. And when we can come in and and give them that efficiency, we actually, we truly do give them double the time Uh, because 
not only are they no, no longer spending all that time doing it, but we free up that time and now they can do something else. So it's, it's double the time. It's not just saving them that effort of the wasted time, whatever it is. Yeah. Now it becomes productive in another way. Right. And this goes into systems design and user experience and things like that. But you remind me of a couple of things, you know, going back to the user doesn't really always know what they want. Uh, same experience. I was working on the marketing team and we were building websites for clinics that were uh, responsible for med- medical education, right? And so um, residents would have the opportunity to enroll in in working at these specific clinics to be able to um, do their practice work before becoming a doctor. And um, there was competition for these uh, students. And so uh, the head of one of these clinics came into our marketing team and they're like, um, so this button needs to be pink. <laughs> now, pink <laughs> is not anywhere in the color scheme of the website. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Well, it's enrollment. Okay, let's talk about the user experience and enrollment and, uh, you know, drop the pink button thing and get into the meat of the problem and what is a good way to solve it, right? So right. that was just sort of an anecdote I remembered. Well, let me let me throw us in down a different path for a second yeah. because you, you bring up something and and it's something that I've thought about a lot, especially over the last couple of well, actually the last decade, because things have changed. You and I grew up in a time period where you use the term shared experiences. And so we we had a lot of shared experiences. Come on, when when you were talking about the Apple II, um, we had three, maybe four channels that that we all watched, and so there was like a thirty percent chance that whatever show you liked, everybody else in the class knew about that show and watched the same show. Nowadays, the shared experience is so much more fragmented. Like my children get to watch so many different things, and they the amount of shared experience amongst society in general has changed and deviated greatly um, sure so you got any thoughts about that and and what we're talking about because it's it is it's so different today compared to what it was when we were kids the the shared experience just happened and now shared experiences you almost you almost have to search for somebody who has the shared experiences with you yeah i was thinking about this this morning in the context of this whole kind of idea that I have that, you know, our experience in our generation in IT was one of kind of these social misfits, rise to power, uh, <laughs> some, I would say, pathology or toxicity that comes out of that in the cultural aspect and how you relate to your customer. And, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, like, is this going to be relatable? Is this going to be relevant to other generations, other folks who have come up and and come into IT in a different time, in a different kind of space? And what I'm guessing is they might be seeing that within their IT organization uh, and not necessarily knowing where it came from, but again, not necessarily buying into it. And so my hope as I was thinking about this was that, man, I, I, I really hope that what I'm telling people is not relevant. I'm hoping that, you know, the younger folks who are listening to this and thinking about 
their careers moving into the future are like, man, that must have sucked. <laughs> yeah. You know, and 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 that it's different. Uh and um so, you know, my initial thought on the different experiences in today's generation, maybe not the lack of shared experience, is one of uh you know thinking about it from user-centric experience and thinking about it as a uh consultancy and a partnership with the business rather than being um almost antagonistic with the end user right um but yeah i'm not sure like you know with i don't i can't begin to even guess how the kind of fractured shared experiences and the lack of it um affect uh folks coming into the industry now well and and i there's there's a whole another aspect of all of this too is that that now with the plethora of information i mean i i was <laughs> I, I one of the social media forums they were talking about well how did how do we how did our generation figure out who oh you remember that movie actor that actor that was on and uh what was his name what was his name and and how did we used to go figure that out and he was in that movie with so and so and so and so was in that other movie and his name right. is this and then i'm like uh okay and then you eventually figure it out right or yeah. or what we had to do was we had to talk to each other until somebody could put in the, put together enough of the puzzle pieces to go oh kevin bacon <laughs> and about and about 30% of the time they were wrong and we were like, okay, yeah. Yeah. And that um, must've been him. Yeah. Compared to now, um, uh, I don't want to say it because my phone will light up and it'll start responding to me, but you know, they just ask their device or, or the other device that's sitting on the counter or, you know, any one of them, um, <laughs> these new AI things and say, okay, who was, and it comes back with the answer. So, but where I'm headed with all of that is the plethora of information the information overload and how I can find supporting information for any argument I want to make. So I can pick a point of view that I believe in. And now I've got, I've got backup. I've got my encyclopedias that prove that I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about going back to the eighties encyclopedias. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a strange days we live in for sure. Uh, and I think every every generational turn experiences the same thing. It's like, wow, I'm glad I grew up when I did because I can't imagine what that must be like for you. But as you were saying that, you know, I was thinking from an IT perspective, isn't that all the more reason that if we have all of the resources at our fingertips, if we have AI that can write code for us now, which mm -hmm. is miraculous, okay. right? If like if you haven't done this, you should try it out. Um, you know, walk through creating a mobile app on your phone by telling chat GPT what you want it to do. And it, and that happens, right? And, and like the things that are happening now are just mind blowing as far as what people can do with technology these days, but what they can, what it cannot do is differentiate you as a valuable employee by providing that understanding and that customer service. It's not going to do that. Right. Right. So, you know, folks are like, oh, well, AI is going to take my job. Well, if you're not using AI five years from now, you might not be as valuable as a person who is using AI, maybe. But if 
you want to be valuable to the people who are responsible for giving you money for the service you provide, then you need to stand out. And the way you stand out is by ingratiating yourself. And the way you do that is by providing understanding and like true, right? Right. Customer service and really being invested in in what it is they're trying to achieve and do. Yep. So I think it's all the more important now than it was previously. Yeah, for sure. It's all of that understanding why <laughs> and what's the goal. You know, we we just have to have those pieces because otherwise we can create all of these things. We can slice people's arms off, but <laughs> I've really got to drop that analogy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, now I'm regretting bringing it up. I might actually come up <laughs> with a better one. Yeah, my bad. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, I hear you. And, and it's one of the things that, that, you know, as we've been talking, um, I haven't gone into a lot of the normal questions that I ask, but you bring up all of these good things. And this is, this is what you, what got you out of that back room or got you away from being a web developer into a leadership role is this understanding, this empathy, this desire to, to know more and ask, you actually asked and and found out why they're trying to do these things. And, and what was the goal? I'd say it's, it's two things. One is I was never satisfied in the role I was in. So I was never, I never became a specialist, right? I was happy to move on to a different role and learn a new thing. And so, you know, if your goal is to become a director, if your goal is to become a CTO, then your path should be one of a generalist because you need to at least have enough of an understanding of various aspects of IT. And as a generalist, like, like if you're able to move around and, and have these different experiences and have the opportunities to, to do these different things, because you're of the mindset of like, I want to lead people, then that's one part of it. Um, and it's going to be a little more challenging if you've been a DBA for 20 years and now you want to get out of that and go into a leadership role. Okay, well, you might not have that shared experience with a lot of the people that you might be uh, tasked with with leading. And the second one is absolutely, absolutely pivoting on empathy towards the user. And that doesn't mean they're always right. It means that you're going to meet their needs because you understand what it is that they're trying to do and you understand their goals and their and their business. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's go a little more lighthearted. So um, one of the the co-hosts has this art that he likes to call random access memories. So um, I found one of the questions and I want to throw it towards you. So if you could choose any IT related superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? That's that's great. Um, (laughs) Okay, here here it is. I, I have it. I have it. I have it. I would want the power to remotely restart the user's machine. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> that would fix 90% of service desk problems, right? Yep. I, I, I'm not kidding. Uh, in a previous role, I, I had a team uh, that reported to me about five five folks. And one guy had been there like 20 years. And um, the software developer and um, also did some customer service stuff. And... I would complain to him about different systemic problems. I'm like, man, it, it, I don't know why this is happening. It just like, uh, you know, whatever the problem was, it, it always, it, it keeps doing this thing and it breaks. And 
several times over the course of my career with this person, they'd be like, have you just tried restarting? <laughs> have you turned it off and on again? <laughs> I'm like, good on you. Yeah. Why am I? Yeah. Even me, I, even me. Right. Yep. But um, man, I wish it could just be something where I'm like, yeah, restart. <laughs> How amazing. Would well, you be like, wow, you're a miracle worker. Oh, yeah. and they'd never call back because everything was fixed. And so you wouldn't have to. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. I, lo- I love that answer because, yeah. And and I, too, I don't want to restart. On- yeah. I, I'm in the middle of three things. <laughs> but But you know what? One of us thought about that problem. One of us figured out how to make it where it, the browsers are going to open up all my tabs again. Right on, you know, now I can restart without as many problems. I just yeah. got to make sure that I've saved that Word document. <laughs> oh, wait, there's an autosave feature. <laughs> oh, um, so here's one for you. Why are Shit. trees bad at cybersecurity? Why are trees bad with cybersecurity? They always log in using their root password. Wah, wah. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. So uh, um, tell me about some more of these fun IT tickets that you've had to deal with, even even if it was you that caused the ticket. <laughs> Have you restarted? Uh, yeah. Um, gosh, what are the, some of like crazy fun IT tickets? Um, you know, there's... Uh, especially working service desk as a service desk manager, gosh, you just, you see some of the, you see patterns across your users. Right. And it's great because you can identify systemic problems, right? So when you see, uh-huh. uh, you know, lateral issues, you know that there's something wrong, not just one individual's experience, but multiple people. So maybe that's a system problem. Um, and then you might see like really vertical ones where, uh, you know, you're getting a lot of interesting tickets from the same person. <laughs> and and we and we call those frequent flyers, uh, at least on the teams that I've been on. Um, but uh, man, there are so many times where uh, I will get a ticket, and um, it's just something crazy. Like I've never, like you've never even seen something like like in in your experience of twenty five years. You're like, yeah, I don't. Uh, that's new. Um, and then you know you dig into it, and you're like, so what were you doing uh, right before this happened? Uh, nothing. <laughs> and real quick and, and said with no no changing volume yeah. um <laughs> you know and and so you run into situations where uh you have users who are over eager to, to 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 do things and will just click things thinking that they're being self-sufficient and then will walk themselves into a hole and then they're embarrassed and then they don't want to like you know tell you um and uh the funnest one I can think of in, in recent memory, let's say, is, hey, uh, my my keyboard stopped working. Can you can you come over and check it out? Sure thing. So I come over there and I'm like, you know, sure enough, keyboard, you know, wireless keyboard isn't working. And I'm like, hey, so so when did this problem start? Oh yeah, just a couple of days ago when I got back from this trip. Okay. Um, more troubleshooting, more troubleshooting. And I'm like, I'm looking at the keyboard and I'm looking at the the dongle, you know, and I'm like, so you got a, I don't know, you have an HP keyboard, but you have a Logitech dongle. That's, that's not going to work. Um, so I'm like, so, uh, where's the, where's the dongle that goes with this keyboard? Uh, I threw it away. <laughs> and I was like, 
<laughs> what? Why did you why did you throw it away? Oh, well, the mouse stopped working and so I threw the mouse away and I just threw the dongle away with the mouse. Okay, when did that happen? Oh, while I was on my trip. So where did you get this? So where did you get where did you get this dongle? Oh, uh out of your office? <laughs> out of your desk? <laughs> And I'm like, okay, for starters, this is never going to work with that. And second, like, why are you going into my desk getting the stuff? Well, I didn't want to, you know, tell you. <laughs> and so you run into, you know, there's there's a class of of users, a class of customers, especially in in service desk, where, um, you know, I say you, you really try to have grace with 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 the with the users because a lot of times they are embarrassed, they are. Um, they aren't going to be completely transparent for whatever reason in the root cause of what is happening and you know through your forensic detective work as a as as a diagnostic troubleshooter you come to the fact that you know it was self-inflicted and um you know you know if you're one of those classic you know less than great customer service people you're going to be like dude you're an idiot you did this thing um don't like don't do that you have to like come back and and try to have some sympathy for folks because they're they're you know they're experts and they're specialists in their business like we talked about and you are the expert and specialist in yours and you know a lot of times there's an expectation today is that people should be tech savvy and when they're not uh they don't necessarily want to admit it and so you do end up with fun tickets quote unquote um but you know handling them with 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 grace um is with important it can be it can be challenging yeah with kindness yeah well you got any other last minute thoughts or or you got you got anything you want to promote because i i noticed that you're like in a sound studio so you want to you want to uh, that? that would be great i'm sure my wife would love it so my wife is a voiceover artist and i'm i'm in her studio right now and her website is um carrianasur.com that's K-A-R-I-A-N-N-A-S-S-U-R.com. She's been in this industry about eight years and just signed on with a huge agent in Los Angeles. We're really excited about that. So um, I think her pipeline is going to get pretty full up. Um, she's oh. the voice of a couple different um, large commercials in the regional area, in, in the New England area. So it's fun to be watching YouTube or listening to the radio and hear her voice come on. That's always neat. Um, yeah, I wanted to leave folks with a couple of just suggestions. Um, you know, there's a couple of books that are, I think, important reading. Uh, if, if you um, are a sci-fi fan and have not read uh, the Wool series by Hugh Howey or watched Silo on, uh, I think it's on HBO right now. Um, it's really a great uh, examination of IT. Um, believing itself to be good but not necessarily being good what was the series uh, again? silo was the is the tv show wool it's wool w-o-o-l like like uh, what comes off a sheep okay um it's very compelling it's a great story it moves really fast it's a page turner and it, it really isn't i took it as a really interesting commentary on uh it culture in okay. the context of uh business and um you know when we're talking about differentiating yourself through customer service and how that fits in with an IT perspective. Uh, there's a great book out there called The Fred Factor, and it's about um, a guy's experience with his postal carrier and how he 
differentiated himself as a, as a postal carrier. Again, you think these are kind of mundane, run-of-the-mill jobs, um, but you can make them something special for the people who who you work with. Um, you know, other shout-outs that I would make that have been impactful in, in my career. Um, I mentioned I started as a computer science undergrad and changed majors. Um, the primary reason for that, it was really just too academic and theoretical. You know, we were coding in like Lisp and other, you know, old arcane languages that you would never see used in any sort of um, modern yeah. modern application today. And so, you know, I, I wanted to be relevant in the, the business that I was working in. And um, if you're looking to differentiate uh, software engineering from computer science, um, a guy by the name of uh, Juval Lowy, that's J-U-V-A-L, L-O-W-Y is fantastic as a teacher on um, approaching software development as an engineering, um, with an engineering mindset. Um, yeah, those are my, my big ones. Like, you know, there's, there's resources out there to, to help you sharpen that saw, whether it's you know, how you approach software development or how you approach um, service delivery. Um, so, yeah. Right on. Well, thank you very much, man. It, it's been sure a thing. Good to you, Ted. Um, and as we come to a close on another Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, I want to invite all of our listeners to uh, comment and rate the podcast um, on the iTunes store or wherever you're grabbing your copy of the podcast from. We really appreciate the support of the program and the time you invested in nerding out with us. So thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. And I, I hope you folks have enjoyed the, the last hour of us talking it geeky nerdy stuff yeah me too i really hope people are enjoying it so thank you cheers